Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Today we have Dr. Robert Wegley, Associate Professor and Department Chair of the Personal Financial Planning Department at the University of Missouri. Financial literacy is probably one of the biggest challenges facing America today, and Professor Wegley is here to share with us some simple tips that we can implement in 2012 to get us on the road of financial security. Welcome, Robert. Hello, how are you? Fantastic. Hey, we really appreciate what you're doing in the world of financial literacy. With you teaching college students how to teach families to get financially sound households, what do you think has college students embracing the idea of financial planning? And when do you think financial planning should first be taught? I think a lot of college students today, and I like to call them the next great generation because of the economic mess that we're in, they don't have any choice but to rise up and actually try to make a difference in our world. I think many of them recognize that. Things have changed. These are not kids that were brought up in a world of defined benefit retirement plans. They were brought up in a world watching mom and dad get moved into defined contribution retirement plans, and they recognize the importance that they're going to have to place upon savings for their future. Many of them are having to borrow lots of money in order to go to college, and they wish that mom and dad would have saved a little bit more money so that they could go to college. These things are triggers that, in fact, the more of those stimuli are given to them, the more likely they are to, in fact, react and make a difference in their own lives. I actually want to be very hopeful for the future that these kids might, in fact, bring to the world. As far as where they get it taught, it is quite interesting in watching our classes, and I've been doing this for 28 years, is that you will always see the students that tend to do a little better in the class from an academic standpoint. Many of them will confide in me that they were exposed to this information at home in talking with their mom and dad, even little conversations around the kitchen table that might have involved personal finance. So where do I think is the best place to begin teaching personal finance and financial planning? It's to begin at home. Everything has a cost, and we're always thinking about little kids. Little kids want to have all these new toys. Well, what are they willing to give up in order to get the new toy? What are their other options? Thinking about opportunity costs, thinking about things that need to be happening at the very young level, then those need to be transferred on to the next level as like, well, I don't have enough money to save for my retirement, oftentimes translates into, I don't want to give up my chocolate mocha lattes at the coffee shop in order to save for my retirement. I'm being a little bit trying to be funny, but it's like people don't think of these things. We have this lottery mentality that somehow we're going to pull our number out of the hat and it's all going to be fine, yet we have control. And the things we have control over, we need to teach students and teach individuals how to use that control to make a difference in their own lives, which, of course, will improve all of our lives if, in fact, families are comfortable doing that. That's a great point. I appreciate you continuing our philosophy, which is education of financial planning should start at home. But sometimes it seems like for families, it's an uncomfortable conversation because sometimes even mom and dad may not feel like they totally understand money and the concepts of saving and retirement planning. However, just the basics of educating the kids as far as when a purchase happens. I thought about my kids as they were growing up, they see a lot of transactions done with a piece of plastic. Well, what they don't understand is what that's all about and how commerce actually happens. So as a financial advisor, naturally, I spent a lot of time talking to my kids about money and costs and expenses and saving for the future and saving for college. But that's probably not happening 
consistently across America. So once that foundation starts at home, maybe take us to the next level as far as what you're trying to teach now. For example, the University of Missouri, you're obviously focusing on growing people in the financial planning area. How are you educating the consumer of the importance of, for example, having a budget and how important it is to determine goals to achieve your financial plan? Certainly, we've got courses that we offer here at the University of Missouri, and I won't get into the detail about them, but we have a full three-credit-hour, full-semester course that covers all the areas of personal finance and a couple of one-hour classes that are more general, like the basics of personal finance is one, and then the other one is what you need to know before you graduate, things like buying a home and working with your retirement plans and whatever, that are not as rigorous, if you will, as the three-hour class is. As far as setting goals and for getting students motivated, goal setting, again, I'm preaching to the save because the people that listen to this broadcast probably are the ones that are already doing many of these things. But setting your goals, setting financial goals or setting personal life goals are the first step that we have to do. I have worked with individuals as clients. You have worked with individuals as clients. Once you get them to fully put down what their financial goals are and you know the numbers and you know the time frame, then it becomes a relatively simple mathematical problem to solve in order to do all the magic of finance that we get paid to do. But the hardest thing is is getting people to decide what their goals are. And I'm amazed at what the difference that goal setting can in fact make in a person's life. Now, I always like to tell the story about my father, which you may want to edit out of this thing, but my dad, when he got out of the service, well, he told me late in his life, he said, Robert, I had three goals. He said, I wanted to own a Cadillac, I wanted to own a farm, and I wanted to be mayor of Liberty, Missouri, which is what my hometown is. Well, the man achieved all three goals. And it wasn't because he just sat idly by and watched it happen. He came from a low-income background, made good decisions, saved money, allowed me to have a better life than what he had, which has allowed me to be in a position to continue the legacy as best I can to give my kids opportunities that I didn't have. Well, for most of the people listening, that is exactly what they want to be doing if they get right down to it. But there, many of them are unwilling to make the sacrifices. And the reason they're not making the sacrifices is because they have nothing to which they're sacrificing for, like the goal of paying for your kid's college education or like the goal of saving for your own personal retirement, which obviously should come ahead of saving for the kid's college education, like a goal of making sure you've got proper insurances in place so if, in fact, calamity occurs, if the kids and the wife or the husband are going to be taken care of. Those things are extremely important, but without goals, we have no way to direct our day-to-day management of our household. We have no way to use our budget, if you will, as a way to help us reach the things that we're trying to go. One thing that I see, too, is when you take the time to write that stuff down, write down what your goals are, and if you take the time to understand, because as Tony talked about with kids, you see the plastic just being swept, and there's a lot of Americans that are so over their heads in credit card debt, they just buy, 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 mindlessly buy things, and a lot of times that detracts you from your goals. But if you're in tune and you know exactly what things cost and you actually live and adhere to a budget, Now it's a matter of prioritizing those goals. And is it more important for you to have a comfortable retirement or is it more important to go out to dinner this weekend and next weekend and the following weekend? Or maybe we have a couple meals at home so that we have money at retirement and it's prioritizing where your money's spent. You couldn't have said it any better. We don't 
usually put it in a opportunity cost type of a context. Everything that I buy, it is like voting for something or somebody. But if I'm spending all my money on going out to eat, I am voting that going out to eat at nice restaurants is more important to me than having a secure retirement. That's more important to me than my kids having access to a good quality higher education or possibly going to a better elementary school or a private high school potentially. Everything has a cost of what we're not able to do with the money that we in fact are using. I was reading something just the other day. They are talking about one of the best New Year's resolutions for many people to do is to stop going out to have lunch when they go to work. Bring a sack lunch from home. Well, it sounds like a crazy idea, but if you do that, what is it? Probably, depending upon where you live, 8 to $15 a day times 20 days during the month. It amounts to a lot of money, and if you start saving that money from the time you start working... You end up with a relatively secure retirement at the end. I've always impressed, I don't know if you guys, you've probably heard of the Stowers family, the founder of American Century Mutual Funds. What John still brings in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and an apple in a paper bag every morning for lunch when he comes to work. And he's an elderly man. He does it every day. I've seen him bring it in. I've sat next to him while he's eating it. And it just amazes me. And in fact, I'm just so proud of him as being a Kansas City resident, if you will, that he does that. Well, I'm not going to say you're going to end up with the amount of wealth that John Stowers has, but I am going to say that you're going to be consciously making a decision for your future. And by doing that in a little way every day, you start finding yourself doing it in even more ways with other decisions. And it starts to snowball into having a much more effective financial life and a lot more choices available for you in the future. One of the things we tend to start with in the process, especially with a new person, is to say, okay, if we're not funding or committing to retirement funding at this point, we need to find the money. So the first place to start again, we like to sometimes label it a budget, which that sometimes scares people because nobody wants to be put on a budget that sounds like a limitation. So I tend to start out calling it a cash flow analysis. So whatever it takes to get you to put the numbers on paper basically is an education for many people to actually see where their expenses are going and take the opportunity to say, wow, I didn't quite realize by looking at my checkbook and my credit card expenses that I have this much money going to this category. So if we were to redirect that, I think in the beginning of our program, you referenced the mocha latte. There's many ways that you can look at a 3 or $4 cup of coffee every day and calculate that over 30 years, it can add up to quite a sum in retirement accumulation or college funding or whatever it is. So it's a conscious approach first at saying, where is my cash flow going? to then address, if this is my income and my expenses, I need to live within it first, and I need to have less expense than income, and I need to focus on when do I want to retire, what are those goals, and then out of my current income, I need to apportion appropriate amounts towards today and for tomorrow. It's just engaging in that process. For so many people, it seems frustrating up front, But many people at the end of the process will say, gosh, I wish I would have done this a long time ago to really look at where my expenses are going and find that I have opportunity, whether it's saving a little bit on insurances over here or paying less on my mortgage payment because I took an opportunity to refinance in the current environment. There are so many strategies to implement, but it all starts with, as you well said, sitting down and first looking at, let's call it the cash flow analysis at this point versus the budget. I really like that you called it a cash flow analysis because I like to try to get people to think about running their household as if it was a business. So instead of talking about a net worth statement and a budget, you can talk about a statement of financial position. You can talk about a cash flow statement. 
because that's what businesses put out for us to see. And as you've noticed on a cash flow statement, at the bottom of it, you have earnings per share, which is revenues minus all the expenses. How much do we have left in order to distribute to our shareholders or how much do we have left that we could use to reinvest within the business? And we like to invest in businesses that tend to be growing their earnings per share. In other words, they aren't spending everything that they're bringing in terms of revenue. Families are the same way. And members of families, if they think about it, want to be a part of a group that is, in fact, showing a growing earnings per share, if you will, that they're showing a huge commitment towards the future and as a way towards having, a, if you will, a better financial life, which is the fact that they aren't having that is probably what brings them to the doorstep, unfortunately, of many of the financial planners and the people that use your podcast. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's focus a little bit on some of the financial values that you would consider to be vital in what you also teach at the university. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. If you want more information on this program from your real wealth professional, just click the More Information button so they know to contact you. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Robert Wegley, who's the Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Personal Financial Planning at the University of Missouri. And we're basically just talking about the importance of financial planning and how important it is to, of course, stick with it. Before the break, we were focusing a lot on the importance of having a budget or a cash flow analysis to get in touch with the resources that you have to meet your goals. Let's talk a little bit about, from your perspective, what are some financial values that you would consider to be very vital? Well, certainly the value of thrift and frugality, I think, would be one. The old Ben Franklin, a penny saved is, in fact, a penny earned. Those things are very important for us to have. I think a value, I don't know if this is a value, but you know, as we've talked about the importance of goals, but actually then using things like time value of money, which I know the math may not be right at the fingertips of most of the clients of the world. It is at the fingertips of most of the advisors of those clients in the world and showing how, as we know, a small commitment to savings can amount to a relatively large sum over time if, in fact, it has a large amount of time in order to reach it. I think a thing that I personally value is seeing these behaviors need to start as soon as possible among the youth when they graduate from college, if they go to college, if they graduate from high school, is to attempt from the beginning to, in fact, save money towards their future and towards their goals, put off buying that new car and using credit to get it for a few years and save the money to buy your new car and then keep saving money to buy new cars to rest your life can amount to over $100,000 by the time you retire in terms of the amount of money that you have that you wouldn't have had had you used credit to purchase every car that you buy along the way. In terms of the actual names of terms of values, I think thrift is probably one. I think I use frugality would be another one. I think there's a mode of selflessness that has to be employed as well. When we think 
right into the present, it's usually clouded by what we want now for myself, as opposed to what would I like to have available for myself and for the people that, in fact, follow me, or for the world that I'm trying to create for others to, in fact, live in. And I say that because even if you save a lot of money and if you don't have a lot, even if you don't spend it, and say you don't have anybody to leave it to as a part of your bequest motive, I have noticed with several people that I know, and I've felt this a little bit within my life, I'm not quite there yet, but how good it feels when you're able to give money to institutions, to churches, to societies, if you will, that actually make a difference in the world that we live in, in ways that we want to see our world grow. And that's important because I'm one of those guys that believes that we all have a responsibility to all of us in order to make better decisions, in order for all of us to have a better environment in which to make decisions. Those are excellent points, and it reminds me of how I kind of talk to my kids at home about a process we call earn, tax, save, share, and spend. We go through a process as they, of course, do their chores and they're compensated. We qualify that as that's your earnings, that's your compensation, and there's a portion of that that has to go to taxes. So it gives me an opportunity to kind of explain how that system works. Then we talk about, of course, their savings goals. And talking about retirement to a 13- and 11-year-old is kind of a challenge, but Mm -hmm. they certainly understand that's how dad helps people every day. Then we talk about sharing and ultimately who's important to you, passing on that legacy of giving. There's always room in every budget to be able to share with those who are in need. And at this point, my kids' lives, that's important for them to share with their church and other organizations. And then there's the end point of spending. So there's a small portion that we focus on that they can have those things for today. So it just so ties well with your thoughts about being frugal and thrifty, of course. And I love the discussion about time value. I think it's so important when you're making a financial decision to think about how this impacts over your long-term goals, this expense today, how important is that item, and what does it really cost you in the future? There is someone that we care a lot about here that we work with, an accountant who has an unfortunate smoking habit. So we always relatively remind me today, if you just multiply that over 30 or 40 years of savings, and hopefully one of these days it'll click with them to realize, wow, that actually is pretty expensive, five to 10 bucks a day times my career of saving. It could be an amazing impact on your retirement. What about the power of compounding? You mentioned starting early, and I just love that concept of being able to explain to people the benefits of starting early and benefiting from that power of compounding. It's not such a huge milestone or a huge mountain to climb saving for a healthy retirement goal if you start early. Oh, absolutely. We've all seen the numbers as far as the sooner you start, the easier it is for you to get there. I mean, we've all seen the little diagrams where the person starts when they're 20 years old and they save for 10 years and then they stop and we compare it to the person that starts at 30 and they save for the rest of their working life. And actually the first guy ends up with more money down the road than the second person. If in fact they, well, I think we use like 10% assumptions in terms of the rate of return that they get. Be that as it may, the thing that I like to talk about with respect to investments and wealth accumulation, that it's that simple. I use the DDT method. And DDT is not just insecticide that used to be used back in the 50s and the 60s, but I think of it in terms of discipline, diversification, and time. Well, the diversification is what the financial advisor actually comes in and helps them understand and helps to ensure that they keep a well-diversified, targeted portfolio for their goals. 
But the discipline and the time rest with the individual. They have to have the discipline to save their money as young as they possibly can so they can take the advantages of the time that compounding, in fact, allows us to have. Einstein was probably one of the greatest men of the last hundred years in terms of intellect. At least we like to assume that he is. He once said that compound interest is the most powerful thing in the universe. Well, certainly Ben Franklin is another person that looked back in terms of our past. Things that he left behind out of his wealth where people couldn't touch it for like 100 years, and then it grew into a huge community chest for people to be able to use. Now, it doesn't fit everybody, but every family, if they start from where they are, regardless of their age, and start saving money and start looking at the compounding and what it can do for their future, and then if a part of their goal is to have some money left over for the next generation's future, and if they can teach these values and teach these goals to those people, then several generations down the road, in fact, we have a family that has a lot more financial freedom than they did prior, and they're typically not going to be a family that is one that is going to be, I guess, filthy rich. They will be, what's a good word for that? I would say like goodwill rich, if you will, where they've done it in a way where this is important to me. Yes, it's also important for those that follow me. And if those values exist within our families that are able to save money, I do have this sincere belief that it makes a difference in the world that we live in because we are trying to make a conscious choice to improve the state of those around us. I think that is so well said, and I think part of what you're talking about here is there is no one size fits all. Mm. Every individual has to find out and define what's important to them, write those goals down, and then start working toward those goals. And I know, as you kind of alluded to, with we're kind of biased, we believe people should work with financial professionals because the results speak for themselves. I mean, you just have to look in other industries. Some of the best golf players in the world, they have coaches. You go to the CEOs, they have their board of directors and their study groups that they go to. Anybody who's at a very high performance level, there's a common denominator, and that is they have professionals around them to help keep them accountable and help keep them on task. And I think if you want to have a successful financial future, if you're trying to do that yourself, you're really stacking the deck against yourself because you're doing it all alone and you're carrying that whole burden on your shoulders. And sometimes you have a hard time seeing the forest through the trees. What's your opinion of working with a financial advisor? I'm glad you asked my opinion on that. 28 years ago, when I got out of graduate school and I started working in this business, I used to say my goal as an instructor is to teach people so that they have the education so that they don't need a financial planner. And I would work with individuals and I said my goal as a financial planner in helping you with your personal finance is to teach you enough so that you won't need my services in the future. And I'd sit down and I'd spend hours working up a financial plan for somebody and then I would give them the financial plan with asset allocations and insurance recommendations and everything else. And then down the road, I'd see them a year later, I'd see them two years later, and I'd ask them how their financial plan was after they'd already paid me, what, $1,000, $1,500 for the financial plan. And I'd see them a year and a half later, and I'd say, how's your financial plan? And they'd look at me with a sheepish look, and they'd say, I guess it's okay, but I never got around to doing anything with the stuff that you did for me. And I started to come around to the point of saying, even the best financial plan that isn't implemented is a bad financial plan. A mediocre plan that is implemented is better than the best financial plan that is not implemented. Certainly the advisor has a greater incentive. Yeah, there's some monetary incentive, but a greater incentive to see to it that the plan is in fact implemented for your future. The other thing advisors do, and I don't say I think, I just know that they do it, is they stand between you and your emotions. 
If you're out there doing it yourself, you're making emotional decisions, which often tends to make knee-jerk decisions where you don't have the long-run commitment, say, to the stock market. You don't have a long-run commitment to your future. If you have to go through your advisor, sometimes they will stop and ask you a question. That doesn't mean that they can always change your mind, but they at least will ask you the question about how this fits into the plan that you have. And if they can remove those emotions and keep you on your business-like management of your finances, they will more than pay for themselves over the long run. I think that is a key point because that's exactly what I explain to clients every day is it's my job to remove the emotion from the decision and challenge you and question whether this makes sense. That's not adversarial. That's a positive because people are so emotional about their money. In today's, we use the word planning. Well, that comes into financial planning, college planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, asset protection planning. There are so many different ways to achieve goals today, and I just can't fathom how people would choose to go that alone today. So Jim Well said, circle yourself with professionals around you that can guide you in all these different areas and realize that it's not about what your friend or relative that you talk to is doing or the neighbor Things are too complicated and too customized today to try and kind of get your counsel from a newspaper article or something quick off the internet that applies to you. Those things are helpful and maybe from a standpoint of questioning your advisor, but you still need guidance and a plan and you need someone to hold you accountable. I appreciate so much when you commented about delivering a financial plan to someone and kind of checking back in with them. It's wonderful to have the plan, but if there's not somebody to kind of keep you on task, it's easy to kind of revert back to, ooh, I'll I'll get to that. So we just greatly appreciate your philosophy and sharing what you're talking about to the students at University of Missouri. And I hope that this is something that can continue to spread across the country because I just don't think enough focus is on planning today and helping people truly achieve their goals. Well, it's been my pleasure to talk with you guys about this as well. It is a passion of mine. The reason I got into this business, people ask me, so, well, how come you're doing this instead of business finance? And I said, well, maybe I was odd, but when I was a young man and I was looking at the world out there and I'm looking at all the decisions of whether or not back in the 70s, the young people were thinking about socialism could possibly be an answer, big government and all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking at it and I'm also seeing welfare and I'm seeing some people getting wealthy and other people not, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not so much about people getting wealthy, but what I really did see was the focus is on the household. The household is all of the economy. We like to think of the consumer as being two-thirds of the economy and the other one-third as being government. I always think that's a bunch of crap. Excuse my language. But if it wasn't for the people, we wouldn't have a government, would we? That's we wouldn't have businesses. It's all about the households. You know, it's all about the people. So we at the individual household level, we are responsible for creating the financial world that we live in today, just like it was tomorrow and as it's going to be in the future. So the better that we get households are able to manage their resources to fit their goals, if you will, on a day-to-day basis, the more our nation is going to be spending his or her money in a way that's going to fit our goals. And the better our nation does it, hopefully it passes on to the rest of the world and we start having a place that is focused on true utility as opposed to, I guess, greed that comes out of the focus of one or I lack things, therefore I want something. What do I have and what can I do to make that grow? And if everybody were to focus on that, all of a sudden the bigger picture is going to be a much better picture than it is today. Sounds like we just added a New Year's resolution to all our listeners' list. Let's start out 2012 by implementing some of the things that you talked about today. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks a lot for having me. I hope your mission serves people well. Excellent. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. 
And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.